immediately held a consultation, and binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, It is as you say. The chief priest began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he is aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him! But Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers took him away to the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews! They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off of him and put his own garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. 
when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Ivan, for reading that text. And also, as a prelude to uh, uh, the message this morning for the several verses from the book of Hebrews, which uh, uh, what, what, is, what is astounding about, about this, about the, uh, the crucifixion, is, is uh, who is being crucified. And, and these few verses in Hebrews chapter 1 remind us of that. I, uh, I ask that you pray for me as I uh, attempt to expedite myself of this message that has been sort of burning in my soul and spirit in the, uh, in the last week. As Ivan indicated, I'm going to speak to you about the crucifixion. And I've entitled this message, The Cross of Our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Mark's account of the uh, crucifixion is not a comprehensive account of, of this, nor is, are any of the other Gospels. Uh, none of the four Gospels give the, in themselves give the whole story. Uh, Matthew probably gives the fullest account. But it takes the, whole, the four Gospels uh, to give the, the, the full account of the uh, story of the resurrection. So I intend to bring some, in some details from the other Gospels to make this message more comprehensive. I, I want to say here at the beginning that the account of the crucifixion is, uh, is, is a moving account. Uh, it's, it's fitting that this touches us on the emotional level. But I desire that this account of the suffering and death of Christ touch us on a much deeper level than our, our emotions. I, just, I desire that we, we be moved on the level of the spirit, of our spirit, and that, that it will strengthen our faith and commitment to Christ. Uh, the, the story of the crucifixion is, uh, is central to our redemption, which we all realize. Uh, and so our salvation, our redemption is made possible by, uh, by three things, as I understand it, from the story of the crucifixion. And it, it is made possible through the, uh, the uh, suffering of Christ, the shed blood of Christ, and his death. Uh, and uh, so the, the suffering of Christ and the shed blood of Christ and the death of Christ are vicarious and they are efficacious. By vicarious, I mean it, it was not for himself. That is clear. Uh, it, but, but it was for us that he suffered, bled, and died. Uh, by efficacious, I mean, it was and is effective. It is effective and able to take away our sins and our guilt. In other words, they have the, the, the suffering and the, the shed blood and the, the death of Christ have atoning value. 
for us. And uh, I want us to, uh, to, to lay hold of that for ourselves uh, this, uh, this morning. Uh, and, and, and so this was necessary for Jesus to be our, what uh, Romans uh, chapter 4, and I think it's verse 23 or 24, where it talks about Jesus being our propitiation. Uh, and and the, the word propitiation uh, simply means our sin sacrifice. Uh, and so, uh, in, so that, uh, yes, he became our sin sacrifice, our propitiation uh, for, for our sins. Um, there, there are, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be able to speak to, to uh, um, many things in relation to the crucifixion, but, but one of the things I just want to touch on briefly this morning is that, uh, uh, sort of in passing, it's, it's not that important, yet it's, it's a point of interest, it's been a point of interest for me for years, uh, and especially as I taught the survey of the life of Christ and at the SMBI for quite a number of years. But, but it's been a point of interest to me to understand when exactly was uh, the, the day of the crucifixion of Christ in, in our calendar year. And uh, um, the, so it's uh, contrary to knowing the exact day of Jesus' birth. Uh, we, we really don't know the exact day in the calendar year of Jesus' birth. It, uh, I'm convinced it wasn't uh, December the 25th. <laughs> um, but contrary to that, that, that was sort of lost in antiquity. Uh, but contrary to, to uh, the, the knowing the day of the birth of Christ, uh, we can quite we can quite accurately determine the day of the death of Christ. And, and so, because uh, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus died on, on, the, on the Jewish day of Passover, which is very significant uh, in itself. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe it is, that Jesus are... Passover, our Passover lamb was sacrificed for us. And so uh, uh, Jesus died on Passover day as our sacrificial lamb. Uh, and so uh, and, and we, and we can determine Passover day uh, because uh, when, uh, when the Lord established the Passover day and in, uh, in, in the, the uh, Old Testament, he said it's supposed to be on the 14th day of Nisan. Now, uh, the 14th day of Nisan, Nisan was the, uh, the Lord said, Nisan, the, the month Nisan, Nisan, sorry, uh, is, uh, is actually to be the, the first month of the year for, for you. Uh, and, and, and the month Nisan is, comes in our March-April calendar uh, in, 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 that, uh, in, in those months of the calendar year. And uh, the first of Nisan and the first of every Jewish month uh, in the Jewish calendar 
<coughs> begins with the new moon. And, uh, and so the, the new moon in the spring of the year, uh, the, 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 the day or the night of new moon <coughs> is the first of Nisan. And, uh, and Jesus died on Passover day, which is the 14th day Nisan. So I'm saying all that, that uh, we, we can determine actually our, our, our Good Friday, Easter, uh, that is given to us in our calendars is actually quite accurate as, uh, as far as the actual day that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. Well, I don't know if that's interest to you, but, but it's been of uh, interest for me. Um, is Alvin here or did he walk off? Uh, I need a drink of water. <laughs> uh, okay, you see he's getting that idea. You will notice uh, from the text that Ivan read that um, the first 20 verses have to do with the, uh, the trial of Jesus before Pilate. So uh, Mark actually gives a rather brief account of the uh, uh, of the uh, the trial of Jesus before Pilate, but I want to just notice a few uh, things uh, as we uh, get into uh, this. Uh, the um, there are two things that uh, uh, catch my attention in relation to the, the trial of Jesus before Pilate, as Mark gives it. And the first thing that impresses me is the silence of Jesus. Uh, Jesus answered Pilate's first question. Very briefly, he said, what you said is right. The, uh, and, but after that, uh, when the chief priests began to accuse him, uh, Jesus made no response. And, and Pilate asked him about his non-response. <laughs> and Jesus remained silent. I think, I think the silence of Jesus speaks loudly uh, in this account. And uh, just an observation here. As you read this account, um, and this is basically all I'm going to say about that, is that from a legal perspective, this trial was such a perversity of justice. Pilate himself three times said in, in his response to the people, he's innocent. <laughs> but he finally gave in to the people. So this trial of Jesus, from a legal perspective, was such a perversity of justice that Jesus didn't seem to want to legitimize their false accusations with a response. The other thing I want to notice in the, uh, the, the trial before Pilate is the scourging of Jesus. You have that in verse 17. 
As soon as Jesus was pronounced guilty by Pilate, he was turned over to the Praetorian Guard for scorching. This was, this was a normal procedure. But Roman scourgings were brutal, often leaving the victim half dead. Uh, because they were scourged until the back was bleeding and ripped open. Uh, and um, and, and it, like I said, it, it often left the victim half dead. You notice that Jesus, after this, after he was released to go out to be taken to, the, to, the, to be crucified, he couldn't carry his cross to the place of crucifixion. Physically, he was too weak. Uh, notice that after the scorching, the soldiers ha had their, uh, had other sad, sadistic uh, activities to engage their victim in by putting a crown of thorns on Jesus' head and, and beat on it with a rod so that the thorns were driven into his head and into his brow. That's verses 16 to 20. Furthermore, they mocked, mockingly dressed him with royal robes and spat upon the Son of God. Now, the, I want to uh, just uh, uh, say a few things about the, um, the place of crucifixion and, and the preliminary and certain preliminaries that Mark notices as, as it relates to the crucifixion of Christ. So, but first of all, the place Jesus was crucified. Matthew, Mark, and John identify the place as Golgotha, meaning the place of a skull, as Mark says it. Actually, Golgotha means skull. <laughs> um, the Gospel of John identifies it as the place as Calvary. He's the only one who, who calls it Calvary. But Calvary simply means the same thing, but uh, uh, Golgotha is an Aramaic word meaning skull, Calvary is a Latin word meaning skull. So it actually means the same thing. Several observations. Artists and songwriters depict the crucifixion to having, to having taken place on a hill. You know, uh, I, I love the, uh, the song, uh, um, On a Hill Far Away, Still an old rocket cross. Um, there's another song uh, that says, I don't know if it's in our hymnal here. There was a green hill far away. <laughs> uh, it sort of depicts uh, almost a park-like place. You know, I checked very carefully, and, and none of the Gospels say anything about there being a hill. <laughs> Roman crucifixions were cruel and messy affairs carried out in public places, 
often along well-traveled public roadways because they wanted the public to see what happens to people who defy, defy the authority of Rome. It's my own um, understanding that Jesus wasn't crucified on top of a hill. But he may have been crucified in front of a hill. In fact, in front of a rock cliff that had indentations that reminded people of a skull. Preliminaries to the crucifixion, as Mark gives it. First of all, notice that they offer Jesus vinegar mixed with myrrh. Other of the Gospels say mixed with gall. Probably the same thing. This is thought to be a kind of painkiller, and Jesus refused it. Secondly, notice that his garments were taken from him and divided among the soldiers. That's verse 24. You know, his garments, the garments of Jesus, were the, that, that was the only personal possessions, <laughs> personal possession that Jesus had at this point. And he took it from him. They placed a sign on the cross over top of Jesus' head. That's verse 26. All four gospel writers refer to it, but call it something different. Matthew refers to it as his accusation. Mark calls it the superscription of his accusation. This was not a sign informing who the man was on the middle cross. This sign declared the legal indictment the reason for Jesus' death, as far as the courts of Rome were concerned. This sign said that as far as the Roman government was concerned, Jesus was guilty of high treason, making himself king. They strategically placed Jesus between two thieves who were crucified with him. Verse 27. As Ivan's reading uh, indicated, these were not common thieves. They were insurrectionists. They were insinuating that Jesus was one of them by placing him in the middle. In fact, it may have been insinuating that he was the leader of the insurrectionists. Now, uh, the, uh, the crucifixion itself. Here I want to take a look at what took place during the six hours that Jesus was on the cross. And in the process of this, I'm also going to look at the seven sayings of Jesus that he spoke during these six hours. Before I do that, let me just notice that the mockery of Jesus on the cross by the people and the religious leaders in verses 39 through 43 uh, is very significant. Through their mockery, Jesus' credibility was attacked in four areas. 
Here I'm also looking at what Marx says as well, uh, what Marx says as well as Matthew. They mocked his ability to carry out his word. You said that you're going to destroy the temple and raise it in three days. <laughs> now look at yourself. <laughs> in that sense, they were saying. They mocked his identity as the son of God. <coughs> if thou be the son of God, then come down from the cross. Do a miracle. Do you, do you, under, do you rec recognize that these words challenge, uh, echo the Satan's challenge in the wilderness when he said, if thou be the son of God? They mocked his ability to, yes, to carry out his word. They mocked his identity as the Son of God. And they mocked his ability to save. Uh, he's, they said he saved others himself he cannot save. It wasn't that he couldn't save himself, but he would not. There's a difference. And, and, and fourthly, they mocked his relationship with the Father. That's verse 43. <laughs> they wagged their heads and said, let God rescue him now, if he will save him. In that sense, they were saying, where is your God when you need him? <laughs> now, notice uh, Jesus' six hours on the cross. Um, the, uh, the six hours that Jesus hung on the cross can be divided in two segments. Um, the, uh, the first three hours were from 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock noon. These first three hours were busy hours, uh, as well as noisy hours. There was a pounding of the hammers. No doubt you have the screams and the curses of the crucified thieves. The crowds are milling about and watching the spectacle. The mockery and the reviling of the people, uh, the, the chief priests and the religious leaders uh, was obvious. The hackling of the soldiers as divided Jesus' garments. Jesus spoke three times during these first three hours. The first word that he spoke, the first words of Jesus from the cross was a word of forgiveness. That's Luke 23, 34. From the reading of Luke, we can know that this word of forgiveness was spoken at the very beginning of the crucifixion. Before the, the soldiers divided his garments. So the, this, this, this saying of the Lord Jesus, this word of forgiveness was spoken very early. Maybe as they were driving the nails through his hands and his feet. I don't know when exactly this was. But instead of screaming like the, 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 the two robbers did, in, in the pain of having nails driven through his hands and feet, is it possible that Jesus spoke a word of forgiveness and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
Greek scholars tell us that because of the Greek tense of this prayer, Jesus may have repeated these words a number of times. So it's possible that he said a number of times, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Yes, maybe when they were driving the nails through his hands and feet. Maybe when they, they, they raised the, the, the cross and, and, and dropped it into the hole, uh, he, he might have said, Father, forgive them. As they were mocking him, is it possible that he was saying, Father, forgive them? He was forgiving the, the soldiers, those who were mocking, the people that surrounded the cross. Jesus was speaking an amazing word of forgiveness. Jesus offers forgiveness because that's what the cross was all about. Forgiveness. <laughs> Here, Jesus is offering one of the greatest gifts sinful man can receive. Forgiveness. Colossians 2, verse 13 affirms that all those who embrace Christ are forgiven of all of their trespasses. That includes you and me. With this utterance, Jesus is doing exactly what Isaiah 53, 12 said he would do. Let me, let me just uh, quickly read that verse, Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because, because he was poured out, he has poured out his soul into death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That includes us. The second word that Jesus spoke from the cross was a word of promise to one of the thieves on the cross. And, and according again to Luke's account, Jesus' uh, dialogue with the thief on the cross uh, seemed to have taken place shortly before the third hour, before 12, high noon. One of the thieves in a moment of revelation somehow, perhaps it was the gracious words of forgiveness that did it. He, he, re <coughs> he repents <coughs> and calls on the Lord Jesus for his saving favor. And Jesus, without a moment's hesitation, did what he again and again said he would do for all those who believe on him. Here, here, in a sense, the great drama of our salvation was enacted, and this unworthy sinner was transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And in a few short hours, the thief on the cross would be ushered into paradise, because Jesus said, today, thou wilt be with me in Paradise. And may I insert here that this believing thief was the first one to be ushered into paradise 
as a result of Jesus' redemptive sacrifice on the cross. By the way, in my mind, that's exactly where not only the thief on the cross is, that's exactly where Simon and Pete are today. Imagine that. <laughs> Paradise. Thirdly, in the third word that Jesus spoke before the sixth hour of the day, Jesus provides for the care of his mother. That's given to us in John 19, 25 through 27. Here, Jesus committed the care of his mother to his beloved disciple, John. Here, he was fulfilling his role as the firstborn son of Mary. Why John? But why John? Why not his next older brother? You see, but none of his brothers seem to have been believers at this point yet. Furthermore, without doubt, Jesus knew that John would be, not be martyred for his faith and would be around to take care of his mother as long as she lived. In my estimation, Mary must have been about 50 years old at this point. Isn't it interesting that John was the only one of the 12 who was at the crucifixion? Then we come to the last three hours in the story of the crucifixion. Mark tells us here in verse 33 that these last three hours were hours of darkness. This, was, uh, this darkness was not a natural phenomenon, but a supernatural one. Note that this darkness was over the whole land, Mark says, verse 33. There is historical evidence that this phenomenon of darkness was, was also, also included Rome, over a thousand miles away, and all of Europe. There are even Mayan and Inca records of this occurrence of darkness. The, the Mayan and Incas lived in, in present-day Mexico. I verily believe that these last three hours of darkness were hours of silence. Suddenly at high noon, God the Father seemed to say, enough. Enough of the mockery, enough of the sarcasm and derision of sinful man. So he sort of reached out and just snuffed out the light of day. And everything was dark. Suddenly the spectacle of the cross, the agony and the anguish of our sin bearer was hid from human view as the savior of the world was made a sin sacrifice for your sins and mine. It was at the end of these three hours of darkness that Jesus uttered 
the last four sayings of the cross in quick succession. Let me note them. The first cry that Jesus made at the, at the, at the end of the three hours of darkness was a cry of agony in verse 34. Each of the uh, synoptic gospels record this fourth cry from the cross. Thus, at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus breaks the silence with this haunting cry of deep agony and pathos. The, the text tells us that he cried with a loud voice in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi. Lama It was a, the cry of Psalm 22, verse 1, where, where the psalmist said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know several things about this cry. Here was a cry that expressed suffering that went beyond physical suffering, I believe. A cry of one in deep anguish of soul and spirit. For the first time, Jesus came to the Father <coughs> with the why question. <clears throat> For the first time, and first and only time, Jesus uses the creaturely term in addressing his Father. Normally, he said, my Father, but now he said, my God, my God. Fourthly, here's a cry of loneliness and utter forsakenness. John 1 tells us that he came into the world, the world that he made, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and they received him not. Yes, even his disciples fled when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now the Father, with whom he was one, whose will he never violated, whose word he faithfully spoke. Whose fellowship he constantly enjoyed and by which he was sustained. Now the father seemed to have turned his face from him. Folks, I, I don't understand it. Here is mystery in a deep way. Here is a cry of mystery when the pure, holy Son of God suffered vicariously for sin. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 6, declares that he was stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our, face, of, of our peace was upon him. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Certainly this great cry reminds us, should remind us, of the awesome cost of our salvation. You know, the, the Gospels tell us of the power of the spoken word of Jesus. He spoke the world into existence, John 1. 
He spoke and the lepers were cleansed. He spoke and the raging storm was stilled. He spoke and the dead were raised to life. Jesus could not. And I say this very carefully. I've thought about this for quite a while. And I say very carefully, Jesus could not speak our salvation into existence. Somehow, in the divine mystery of things, there was a divine necessity that Jesus had to vicariously suffer, die, and shed his blood to bring about our salvation in order for us to be forgiven of even one of our sins. No wonder Paul said, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. It was G. Campbell Morgan who said this. And I, I forget the exact quote, but this, in essence, is what he said. You ask me how I know that God loves me. I take you not to the skies where God reveals himself in splendor. I don't take you to the flowers where God reveals himself in beauty. But I take you to the cruel rocket cross. And I declare, God loves me. <laughs> and that speak that to you also. The sixth cry of Jesus was a cry of accomplishment. Mark mentions this cry and refers to it as a second loud cry, but doesn't tell us what he said. John tells us that after Jesus received the sour wine, he said in a loud cry, it is finished. Allow me to emphasize the fact that this was not a cry of defeat and loss. Jesus did not die with a whimper. This was a shout of triumph and accomplishment. In the Greek text, it is one word, teleho, it is finished. The German translation gives it, as ist vollbracht. The Spanish says, consumado es. The word telejo was a common word used in Jesus' day. It was used in many different situations. And I don't have time this morning, unless I keep you for another half hour, to talk about all those situations. Let me just give you one. When someone went to the store and bought things he needed, he would open his money bag and pay what he owed. The merchant would take the bill and stamp it with a word, and that word was telejo. In this situation, the word meant paid in full. Think about that. 
Yes, in this shout of accomplishment, Jesus was declaring that our salvation is paid in full. Salvation's plan is complete. Once for all and for all eternity. As Ishpal rocked. Consumado es. It is finished. Telejo. What, what can we say but praise God and say thank you? <laughs> the final saying of Jesus from the cross was a word of, uh, word of commitment. I, I see that I, I uh, passed over the, uh, the one saying that Jesus spoke at the cross at the final end. That was the word, I thirst. But I'm going to leave that. Think about it for yourself. The final saying of Jesus from the cross was a word of commitment. Only Luke records this final saying of Jesus as he committed his spirit to God in his, in his death. This, among other things, tells us that no one took his life from him, as he told the Jews in John chapter 10, verse 18. He laid down his life. He gave his life as a ransom for many, as Paul puts it. In conclusion, I, I want to notice five miracles that I observe uh, from, from the four Gospels, the, what I call the five miracles of Calvary. The first miracle of Calvary, as I see it, was the three hours of darkness. That's Mark 15, 33. As I said, this was not a natural occurrence. It, uh, there, there was not a, you know, uh, the sun refused to shine because it was, God did it. It was a miracle as far as I'm concerned. Then you have the two loud cries of Jesus. At the end of six hours on the cross, from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock. This so astounded the Roman centurion that it caused him to recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. See, he was used to seeing crucified victims die with a whimper, not with a shout of triumph. And so when the centurion saw and heard, he said, surely this is. The third miracle of Calvary is that the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. This was 3 o'clock on the afternoon of Passover when the Passover lambs were begin, beginning to be offered in the temple. And suddenly, there must have been a loud ripping sound 
I don't know how it took place. Maybe Gabriel took his sword and went, shoo. I don't know. But the veil of the temple, a strong curtain from top to bottom, saying that it was a divine act. A miracle. The earth quaked and the rending of the rocks which uh, is given to us in Matthew 27 51. I picture the bedrock of limestone, which lay just below the surface of the ground in the area of Jerusalem, in the area of Calvary. Suddenly bursting and cracking and, 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 and splitting open with with an enormous quaking and shaking of the earth. And the, the last miracle of Calvary is only recorded by Matthew in Matthew chapter 27, 52 through 53. The graves were opened and saints, now here it is, get this, saints were, were of old appeared many in Jerusalem. May I suggest that these saints worn their way from Abraham's bosom to paradise and stopped over in Jerusalem as a result of the finished work of Christ on the cross. I asked Ivan that he give me at least 45 minutes, and he almost gave me 50 <laughs> to share what lays in my heart. And, and I know it's after 12. It's the time when people cut you off and stop listening. But would you, would you just listen yet as I read Isaiah chapter 53? And then I'd like for us to stand and, uh, and, and sing uh, the song, uh, page 270, and I think it's in the Mennonite hymnal, uh, the song entitled, Alas, and Did My Savior Bleed? And uh, uh, would uh, our song leader lead that for us? And then I'm going to uh, ask Ivan to dismiss us with prayer uh, before we go down for lunch. So listen to Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness when we shall and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, men of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our, of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought us a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities, as yours and mine. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. God bless you. God, enrich your understanding of the, the death of Christ for your personal life. Let's stand together and sing that song.